Here's what Pittsburgh is talking about. It's been just over three years since the world lockdown, and I know a bunch of us have been revisiting those memories and feelings. And one of the best things about living here in Pittsburgh at that time, I think, is that our medical system could miraculously withstand it all. But a new study suggests those same health care providers were not immune to just how politicized our care became in the months that followed. I'm with that study's author, Dr. Jeremy Kahn. He's an associate professor of critical care, medicine, and health policy at the University of Pittsburgh. It's Monday, March 27th. I'm Megan Harris, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. Dr. Khan, thank you so much for making time for us. Thank you for having me. So you are a medical doctor um, and you worked in the ICU in Pittsburgh at the height of the pandemic. First and foremost, thank you. Um, A cousin of mine died from COVID in a hospital and losing him was awful, but his medical care was excellent. And it's thanks to folks like you that so many lives were saved. I am so sorry to hear about your relative and, you know, thank you for expressing your appreciation. To be honest, I think most of us felt like it was our job and we were there to do our jobs and we didn't need any more thanks than that. But no doubt it was an adventure and an ordeal. Yeah, I feel like journalists kind of have the same, I don't know, mental place, but it's still it's still important, I think, to step back and just say, you know, this was a big thing um, and you played a big role in that. And we're all really grateful here in Pittsburgh. Um, Thank you. So your work, um, you are a co-author on a new study about the politics of COVID-related healthcare decisions um, and how polarized and politicized some of those treatment options have been for patients and for their doctors. I feel like we've all experienced that to some degree, but what made you want to study it? Yeah, you know, the context here, as you said, is this increasing political polarization that really feels intractable and is bleeding into areas of life that are not traditionally considered political, like, you know, what types of communities people want to live in and what types of entertainment they consume. And so we were then motivated to ask the question, to what degree does this polarization also influence clinical decision making? And there was some evidence that it was on social media and on the news, you know, for example, whenever you would see uh, physicians loudly espousing COVID treatments that were not proven, they tended to be conservatives. And whenever you saw clinicians loudly espousing vaccination, they tended to be liberal. But those were anecdotes and it doesn't translate to data. And so we wanted to say, could we provide some, some scientific evidence to show that this polarization was affecting clinical decision making, as we saw on the news and on social media? Were people here in Pittsburgh demanding certain kinds of medicines, at least that you experienced? Yeah, that was the other side of it is, you know, I don't I don't ask my patients what their political persuasions <laughs> right. is, obviously. But but for the first time, I should say, when I was in practice, I was getting more outspoken patients requesting very specific therapies and then hearing those therapies reflected in the media by people of specific ideologies. And that was new to me, you know, very infrequently would a patient, and, and in my line of work in the intensive care unit, it's it's mostly patients' families, right? Most of my patients yeah. are, you know, on respirators and they're not able to talk, but 
almost never would a patient's family very click, clearly articulate a desire for a specific medicine. And that changed during COVID, um, which made us wonder, you know, what are the factors that are driving these, these new requests? How did you handle that in the moment, you know, demands like that? Yeah, it wasn't easy specifically because it was new. I think we are trained to listen to our patients and listen to our patients' families and try to come from a position of understanding and respect. So in that context, it felt somewhat similar to our past experience. And we were able to draw off those experiences and having conversations and trying to offer patient-centered care. But it did undoubtedly create conflict that was new. We got some support from our health system, which wouldn't allow us to prescribe unproven treatments. And so it was very easy sometimes to tell patients, families, I'm not able to prescribe that medicine because my health system won't allow me. Um, but I understood the rationale behind the health system's decision. And I tried to communicate that in a non-judgmental way to the, to the patients and their families. Were they receptive to those explanations? Uh, sometimes and sometimes not, you know, yeah. and I think we've, we've seen some of that conflict play out in the news media where there were, were even uh, patients in hospitals that went to the courts to try to get redress saying, I, I'm requesting this specific therapy and I think you have an obligation to give it. That's never been the history of medicine, right, where patients are able to demand treatments. It's always a conversation between patients and clinicians. But I would say that a lot of the time patients understood and were very understanding. And sometimes there were these, these very difficult conflicts. Yeah, It's new that political ideology is the value that drives those requests, not the desire to improve symptoms. Um, and that felt very different. And I think it does reflect the importance of our study because it, it demonstrates how we're in this kind of new world where political ideology has no boundaries. It, it permeates almost every part of our life now. The show today is brought to you by an incredible local resource, AIDS Free Pittsburgh, and their pledge to end the HIV AIDS epidemic in Allegheny County by 2030. If that is a cause that is close to your heart, make sure you're around for their biggest event of the summer, the sixth annual Too Hot for July. It is a party, but it is also a chance to get confidential HIV and STI testing for free, plus info on the incredible preventative medicines we have now to keep yins happy, healthy, and feeling your most confident out on the town. So come on out to Allegheny Commons East Park on Thursday, May 30th. Yes, July is in the name, but the event is in May. Don't get confused. May 30th from 4 to 10 p.m. There will be DJ sets, a health fair and marketplace, a ballroom-inspired dance battle, cash bar, food trucks, and more. Plus, a performance by Tony Award winner Alex Newell, a.k.a. Unique, from Glee. This is all thanks to True Tea Pittsburgh and so many folks doing the good work out here in the community. So do not miss out. Learn more at TooHotForJuly.com. So walk us through your study itself. So the first component of the study was the scenario-based study where we gave them a patient and we said, would you prescribe ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and some other treatments for this hypothetical patient? Yeah. And we, we also made a specific point we, that we were only asking ICU doctors and we were asking about a patient who was on a respirator and therefore could not articulate needs. And we did that for two reasons. One, I'm an ICU doctor, so I obviously sort of know this world a little bit better. Yeah, it's a familiar experience. We also wanted to take the patient's request out of it, right? It wasn't 
a conversation between the clinician and the patient. It was really just what the the clinician's preference was. We were able to isolate those effects. And so in that first part of the study, we found that conservative physicians were much more likely to endorse hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin than liberal physicians, despite all of them having the same access to the same evidence. And when we asked them to comment on the evidence for those medicines, conservative physicians were more likely to say that the evidence was high quality and liberal physicians were more likely to say that the evidence was low quality um, in that hypothetical scenario. The second part of the study was where we presented everyone with a scientific abstract, but half of the people, we told them that it was ivermectin. And the second half, we used a fake study drug name, like a, a sequence of letters and numbers for us mm-hmm. for a experimental drug. And then we asked them to grade the quality of that abstract. And when respondents knew that it was ivermectin, um, conservative respondents were more Um, in favor of the evidence. They felt that this was a higher quality abstract than liberal respondents. And when they were blinded to the study drug, they felt that there was no difference, right? And so that was really insight that not only are we making decisions based on the evidence, based on our ideology, but we're actually judging the evidence based on our ideology. The quality of the evidence varies based on our ideology, which is a new finding. Did you have a hypothesis going into this? You know, were you surprised by any of that? Um, I had a hypothesis and I had a hope and those were different, <laughs> right? I, I want to be honest. I was very depressed when I saw these results. I suspected that we would find that ideology would influence perceptions of the evidence, but I hoped that, that we wouldn't find that because I don't know that that's a world where I completely am happy living in where yeah. ideology so permeates these decisions. But but the hypothesis was that we would we would see this finding and we did. Yeah. I mean, how do you feel about your fellow physicians being swayed by politics in this way? Yeah, I, I feel mixed. I feel on the one hand, you know, the and this is, I think, the most important takeaway from our from our study is that uh, physicians are humans, right? And human beings are subject to biases and physicians are no different. And so on the one hand, I'm a bit depressed. But on the other hand, it's a bit liberating too to say, look, the world needs to know that we're just human beings and we are fallible just like every other human being. And we let our biases influence our decisions in a way that um, others do as well. Um, But the slightly more depressing (laughs) takeaway (laughs) is that, you know, we we try to use this term, follow the science, right? And, Mm -hmm. And there's this sort of feeling in our world that if only people would follow the science, then we would make the right decisions. But what I think a takeaway of our study is, is that 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 term really doesn't have much meaning anymore, follow the science, because we will we will interpret the science in a way that fits our biases, our ideological biases. And we're going to read the scientific literature through this ideological lens, which means we have our work cut out for us, right? Like we have a long way to go to restore some trust in the healthcare system in that regard. I feel like that was all very illustrative of someone with very practiced bedside manner. Some bad news, some good news, some bad news. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I take, well, I'm a scientist and a physician, right? So I always... I'm going to be a little reserved in my interpretation. I'm never going to sort of go too far out on a limb. You know, that's the scientist in me. The physician in me, to be honest, does certainly want to throw up his hands sometimes and say, come on, (laughs) 
right? Yeah. Sure, surely we could do better than this. Um, but this is the world we live in. Yeah. Well, so what is your counsel then to, you know, first, I guess, fellow doctors um, that maybe read this and are questioning what their bias may be, um, you know, whether they were part of this or just reading about it. Um, but secondly, for, you know, listeners um, would be patients out there who are now thinking like, oh, is my medical care being compromised or is there something I can do to get the best possible care outside of these, you know, existing biases that we're all just subject to on a day to day basis now? Yeah. So for physicians, I think be cognizant of your biases, right? The only mistake that a physician will make is pretending that they're not biased, right? I think that is very wrong. And you still see that though, right? You still see on social media people, they're just so confident in how correct they are. And they're so insistent. Yeah, exactly. And when we're challenged on our beliefs, we become even more, you know, we dig our heels in, right? Instead of saying, oh, I'm, I'm mature enough to take a step back and say, hey, maybe I don't have all the answers. Maybe there are things that I don't understand. And so I, I wish all of us would take a step back and just be a little less confident in our, our beliefs. Um, for patients, it's even more challenging because there's not really a way to navigate the healthcare system better, right? Like based on this news, right? You, you, certainly patients should not be inquiring about the political ideology of, of their physicians, just like physicians should not be asking that of their patients, right? That that feels like a bridge too far. But I've heard anecdotally, like friends who say, you know, you know, their physician had like maybe a bumper sticker or something in their office, and it made them question their care, or, you know, that something was being said and openly in the office. And they're like, you know what, maybe they don't think like I do, maybe I need to go somewhere else. It is happening. Those are conversations I've heard. I don't doubt it. Yeah, I absolutely don't doubt it. And responding to that is the challenge, right? Physicians have to approach patients that they disagree with just from a point of respect and a point, a place of um, understanding if possible. Pittsburgh is a really interesting place, right? We're we're a very blue city in a red region, right? Mm -hmm. And the hospital that I work at sees patients from all over the region and other states, right? It's a, it's a tertiary referral hospital. And so... Yeah it should come as no surprise that the political ideology of my patients is is quite different than than my own often and i need to find a way to approach all my patients with some amount of respect in a way that frankly is challenging because i'm a human i mean i'm i'm going to first admit that you know here here's an anecdote from the pandemic um there was a guy uh whose wife was critically ill with covid and he was coming in every day and his uh, attire belied his political persuasion, right? He yeah. had a Trump hat. He had, and I felt every single T-shirt he wore on every day was somehow sort of more offensive than the next. And oh, and it gosh. should also come as no surprise to, to most people, like I, that I'm a I'm a political liberal. I don't um, need to pretend otherwise. And I was just every single day I was just shocked by how more offensive these t-shirts were. And every time I thought it couldn't get more offensive, it got more offensive. And the guy was just the nicest guy in the world, right? Mm -hmm. Just the nicest guy and was so sweet and was so caring and loved his wife and made really great decisions and, and in a way that was really constructive. And I couldn't help thinking to myself 10 years ago, I would have only had known this gentleman as an incredibly nice guy because he wouldn't have felt the need for whatever reason to wear his ideology on his sleeve. Political swag has really come a long way in those 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the the swag people are making a fortune, I would think. I would yeah. think. Yeah, I think I might have gone into the wrong business. Um, <laughs> but 
And I think that's sort of disappointing. And it made my job a little bit harder because I needed to engage with this gentleman. And I ultimately did. And as I said, he was just so nice. But I really long for those days where I, instead of remembering him as this anomaly, as this weird case where someone who insisted on throwing his ideology in all of our faces was actually a nice guy. I wish I could just remember him as a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah. We're definitely in a weird space where we have to, we have to consider each other's multitudes. We cannot always live in ignorance the way we once could. Indeed. Well, any, any happy notes to leave us with? Well, the first thing is we we definitely feel like we're on the other side in Pittsburgh, right? Yeah. And I think this is true of most of the United States. Like my job in the ICU is way, way easier. Um, COVID, for whatever reason, the patients are just not – we're still admitting patients with COVID, but they're not nearly as sick in the region. Um, people are still dying, but the numbers are way down. Like I definitely feel like we're back to normal um, in a really positive way. So a lot of the terrible things that we went through in those first few months and in the first year absolutely feel in the rear view mirror right now in Pittsburgh. Yeah. So that I think is wonderful news. It's heartening to hear a physician say that. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think we've learned a lot, you know, and I, I remember those times with very complex emotions, mm -hmm. but in a way that I think we're so much better at this care now. We're so much better at approaching these patients. And I don't know what the future will hold in terms of the influence of political ideology and patient care, but there has to be a way forward. And so I'm optimistic that we have the tools to find it and solve it and resolve some of these conflicts. Um, how we're gonna do it, I don't know, but whether we'll do it, I think there's a chance. I think we're all in better hands with folks like you trying to figure out that that dichotomy. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Khan, for sharing all this. We'll have links to your work um, in our show notes. Thank you so much, uh, Megan. This was really, really a treat. A little more news before you go. Pittsburgh is delaying its ban on single-use plastic bags. Remember, this was all approved last April and was set to begin in a couple weeks. Meanwhile, our region's biggest grocer, Giant Eagle, is already phasing out plastic in Erie and a bunch of Ohio stores. And if you use self-checkout, you may have seen that question at the end about whether you brought a reusable bag yourself. Now, there's no charge about that plastic yet, but they say they'll eventually charge five cents a bag. We'll have more info about the exceptions in the city span in today's newsletter. And Kennywood is not open, not yet. District Attorney Stephen Zapala is threatening to block opening day in a few weeks if the amusement park doesn't address a list of security upgrades. Kennywood says they've already done quite a lot. Zapala says you can do a lot more. Remember, all of this happened after that shooting in September that left three people wounded. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you're liking the show, please let us know. Get in those DMs and send us an email, pittsburgh at citycast.fm. And make sure you're subscribed to that Hey Pittsburgh newsletter. Francesca's always got the best to keep you busy in the Berg. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk to you soon. I'm going to put down my pen. <laughs> but drinks are fine. If you need to take a pause to take a sip, please do. Coffee is non-negotiable for me, unfortunately. <laughs>